Well, today we're going to be looking at Matthew 19, the passage that Ellie read. But here's the message I want you to hear. Okay, here's what I want you to hear as we start this. Three words. Stop being religious. Okay, just stop it. Stop being religious. The reason I say that is because I was reading chapter 19 this week. And in chapter 19, there's three stories that uh, Jesus is, is kind of involved with. It's three different interactions. And he's making his way from the, the north down to the south. He's going to end up in Jerusalem where he will be killed. And so he is talking to his disciples and he's teaching them what the heart of God looks like. And in these three different interactions, we, we usually spend so much time on what Jesus is saying and the interaction itself. But this week as I was reading it, I was looking more at the disciples and what they said and how they responded. And what I saw looking at them is that they were just responding in the way that good religious people would respond. They were just interacting with Jesus in the way that they grew up. For them, their culture and religion was pretty much the same thing. To be a Jew means that you were religious. And they're taking these ideas of Jesus and his teaching, and they're just trying to put that on top of what they've already did. They're putting Jesus' teaching on top of their culture and their religion, and they're trying to make him fit. But Jesus is saying, I do not fit on that. And we do the same thing in our world. All right, We have our our culture, and we have our religion, and for us in America, they're a little bit separate, or a lot separate, but we take these things, and we, we take the culture, and we take what we know, some traditions, and then we try to squeeze Jesus into it, and what we end up with just religious people, or maybe legalistic religious people, and that is not at the heart of God. That's not what he desires. So we'll look at this this chapter, and we're not we're going to focus on the third one, but just to give you a quick idea and get you up to speed with this chapter, it begins with these people in verse three of chapter nineteen. Uh, this group of people, the religious leaders that are coming to test Jesus, and they're asking about marriage, and they're just really um, asking, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds?" For them, they're trying to trick Jesus, and the culture of that day was. It is lawful to divorce your wife on pretty much any grounds. It could be that you're just not pleased with her. It could be that she uh, has not been a good cook or a good housekeeper or whatever it is. It's very easy, very common, and you'll be right with God if you have a divorce. He, he's not concerned with that. But Jesus takes this and says, no, 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 it's, that's not the case. And he really only gives one reason for a divorce and a remarriage, and that is through infidelity, when someone breaks the vows. That's the only reason. And the disciples, when they hear that, they say, if this is true, if that's really true, then maybe it's better not to get married. Like, this is a strong commitment. And Jesus' answer is, yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe it's better for some people not to get married if they can't do this. And so that was their first like mind-blown experience with God and when, as, as he's redefining marriage and much tighter. Then immediately after that, you see these parents start coming. They're bringing their kids to Jesus and they, they're trying to put G, uh, their kids on Jesus' lap saying, hey, uh, can you give him a, our, our kid a blessing and you can bless our daughter? And this is actually kind of, I, I see it 
uh, this is like the first case of like social distancing in the Bible. The disciples come in there like, get away, keep your distance, get six feet away, right? Don't bring your kids and their germs and their snotty noses to Jesus. We don't want him getting sick. But more importantly, he's talking with religious leaders. Like, that's the important people. The kids, you know, that's, you're not all that important. But Jesus says, no, 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 let the children come. Let them sit on my lap. Let me bless them. Because that's what the kingdom of God is. And then he says, they're actually closer to the kingdom of God than these religious leaders. <laughs> Again, the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Little children? Like you care more about just blessing children and praying for them than you do about having a conversation with religious leaders? And then you get to this passage that we'll look at today where a rich man comes and has this interaction with Jesus and when he leaves, Jesus says it's, it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, they're, they're, they're utterly astonished. We see in verse 25, it says, when the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and then asked, who can be saved? If not that person who's rich and successful and religious, if they can't be saved, then who can be saved? They're trying to take their culture, their religion, and trying to put Jesus into it. And he says, I'm not doing that. You can't squeeze me into that. Instead, if you're going to be a follower, if you're going to walk with me, you, you change everything. Everything is changed. Your life is changed. Your thoughts are changed. Your heart is changed. And you, you become conformed to my words and what I'm, I'm preaching and what I'm telling you. You're conformed by the Holy Spirit and you're going to look different than your culture. You're going to look different than other religious people. I think even though it's been many years since that time, we as Christians, we in the church, we have adopted some of these religious and cultural things and we're trying to squeeze Jesus into it. We're trying to wrap it up with Jesus and, and it's not working. It's not working. There's, I think this message that we've taught in the church or the church has just adopted over the years just just this kind of I'll call it like karma you know kind of thing I mean even years before karma was kind of a word in our culture it was in the in the eastern culture right but before it even was popular we had this idea that if we uh, if God blesses us it's because we did something good Right? Uh, this is not a, a reference from the Bible, but those of you who remember the sound of music, right, and Maria going way back to black and white movies, when she was going to marry the Captain Von Trapp, what did she say? She, she sang, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but somewhere in my youth or childhood, what? I must have done something good. This whole idea of like, I'm only being blessed because I've done something good. I had an interaction with someone yesterday, uh, a very godly woman who was going through hard times, just a lot of tough, tough things. And she just reached out and just said, what did I do? Like, what did I do? Why, why is God, why am I suffering? I had, and to kind of more humorous, I, I kind of related to that because I said the same thing last week. Last week I was, I was looking at my bushes and they were kind of all dry you know, and I'm just like, something's wrong with this. And so I look at the sprinklers, and they're, uh, sure, there's, there's this geyser, this 
all this water going over on one side. And so I went to Home Depot, I got some supplies, I, I cut the line and I plugged it, and then I'm like, there it is, I'm done. I turn it on and then there's more water coming. So I dug it up, went to Home Depot again, got the supplies I needed again because I didn't get enough the first time. I'm trying to be responsible. Uh, I fixed it and uh, I, I, I took out the old line and now it's just right here. I turn on the water and guess what happens? Like five feet away, there's the water coming up again. And I'm like, what is going on? I had to dig down three feet. I fixed it. A third trip to Home Depot. I'm feeling like, what in the world is going on? But what did it was I'm putting away my, my shovel and I get a splinter right underneath my fingernail. And I'm just like, that's it. And I said, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? And I know, like I know that God is not like getting back at me for that, you know, that look that I gave that person when I was driving, they're going slow. And I looked at him like, are you kidding me? You know, I know God's not getting back at me for that, but we still say these things. I think this is part of what it's like in the church. We have this, this group of teenagers that for years have grown up in the church and they're leaving the church. They've, they've grown up and they're leaving and I think it's, it relates to this and I'll get into this a little bit later, but we, we have raised this generation thinking if we do good, if we follow what God wants, if we're good people, then we're going to be blessed. But when that doesn't happen, give it all away. So, Here's what I want us to look, is that being religious is not the goal. That's not what God wants. It's the exact opposite. All right, so be prepared to everything we know about religious. Let's, let's put it aside, and let's enter into the scriptures and learn from, from what God says. And this is just going to be one little snippet. There's so much more that we can go, but we as Christians, we have to take our understanding of what God's heart is from scripture, not from our culture. So just as the disciples were going to be blown away and starting to recreate what their idea of, of a heart of God is, so we have to do the same thing today. We want to conform our hearts to him. All right, let's get started. Uh, here, right at the beginning, it says, I want us to see that religious people say that God, good works get you into heaven. Religious people say that good works can get you into heaven. That's the ticket. But Jesus says, only my good work can get you into heaven. Only what I've done will get you into heaven. It's not on works. But this is the heart of so many religions. If not all of them, they're asking this, what good must you do to achieve heaven or enlightenment and nirvana? What are the good things that you have to achieve? The religious belief, number one, is the more good we do, the better we are. But that's what pleases God, that he's happy with that. He's excited about that. He's, he wants to see us doing good works. It's like, like having this scale. And that the goal of life, that the goal of the religious life is to have more good than bad. Right? So here we are in chapter 19. In verse 16, we meet this man. He comes up to him. We know from the other... Uh, the other books of the Bible that also have this story, the other Gospels, that he's a rich man, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's clearly a religious person. 
I mean, he's like the trifecta of what you want in your church or your small group leader or your elder board, right? He's, he's wealthy. He's got authority. He's got religious values. He has like a royal flush of religious values. I mean, this guy is it. And he, he's humble, too. He comes to the Lord like with humility, like, what good must I do to have eternal life? That's a good question. Religious people, they think this way. What good do I need to do to tip the scale so that I can be assured that I have eternal life? I can do this. Right? I, I'm, I'm able to do it. The motto is that I can do it. I will never give up. All right? I will never give in. I will never be defeated. We're all in this together. Sounds like COVID kind of signs that we saw at the beginning. But that's the religious person's view. Like, I can do this. I can make this happen. Just tell me what good thing I need to do to get right with God, and then I'm there. But if that religious belief, is that's what we say, the more good we do, the better we are, the more that God is pleased with us, then we have to leave that behind and understand that the Christian response, what God's desire is not on what we can achieve, but what we can receive. For Christ, for God, what he's trying to teach us, is it's not what you achieve from me that matters. It's what you receive from God. Jesus Christ has done it all. He did the good work. There's no good work that you could do to get you into heaven. It's been done. So forget about trying to do a good work. Instead, receive the good work. That Christ has done it. Think of it this way. If it were about good works, and this is where I think we're, I come back to what I think we've taught in the churches for years and, and our youth, I think this is what they're understanding, is that if you do all these good things for God and he doesn't deliver, then it's, like, we've been exploited by God. He's exploited us. So go with me. Like, you, you, you give up your spring break. Everybody else is going to have fun, but you go on a mission trip. Or in your summer where everyone's going out and having fun, you're going, you're going to church and youth group. And you say, I've gone to, I, you know, I skipped all those football games and I went to church instead on Friday nights. I did all these things. I did all this for God. I brought my friends to church. I lived a moral life. I didn't go to parties and I didn't do any of that stuff. Because of that, God owes me something. It's just quid pro quo. Like, God, I scratched your back all those years. No, now you scratch mine. But what happens? They get into college, some tough things happen, and they say, forget it. He didn't deliver. I've been exploited. And I think that's a lot of what we've taught our kids, and we have taught, we've believed the same thing. But think of it this way. We're not the ones who have been exploited. If anybody's been exploited, God has. Because he's the one who gave his son. Jesus Christ left his glory in heaven and came and was born in a manger. He grew up as like a stinky junior hire. He got splinters in his nail. And he, he went, even worse, he went to the cross and he died for us. And then we say, well, what have you done for me? What have you done for me, Jesus? Why, why, am I, why am I struggling? Why am I suffering? I mean, if anybody's given up more, it's him. 
religious people continue to look at what I can do for God, but what Jesus is saying, I've already done it. You just received the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to me. Receive. End of story. So that's the first thing that religious people look at. The second thing is this. Religious people say, God desires perfection. I've got to be perfect. It's very external. Like, I've got to get everything right. Jesus says, God desires sacrifice. He wants your heart. He wants that which is internal. He doesn't care about what you look like and the good that you do and how you're perceived with others. What he wants is that heart, the sacrifice. So this man is still concerned with being perfect. He says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, here's some, some uh, commandments. If you follow those, do not murder, commit adultery, and lie, and all that. And the man, without hesitation, says, yeah, I've done all those things. I've loved my neighbor as myself. I've done all of that. He says, all of these things I've kept. What do I still lack? Then in verse 21, Jesus says to him, well, if you want to be perfect... If you want to be perfect, and the guy's like, yes, finally, Jesus, that's what I'm trying to get into your head. That's what I want. I want to be perfect. How do I be perfect? Tell me now. Now we're getting somewhere, Jesus. Give me, tell me what to do so I can be perfect. Then I can get into heaven. And this conversation was worth it. And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You're going to be perfect. Go sell everything. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven then. And then come and follow me. You live your life. You'll die. You'll go to heaven. And you're going to, then you can embrace those treasures once again. He is just fascinating looking at this guy. He's like, you know, Jesus, I've kept all these commandments. I've not murdered. I've not committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything. I've never lied. I've never said anything that was false. I perfectly obeyed and respected my parents. I've loved my neighbor. I've done all this. What else do I need to do? I want to be perfect. But the one thing that Jesus says, go do to be perfect, he's like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he walks away grieved, not just sad, but like grieved. Because he just found out what he needs to do to be perfect, and he can't do it. He's not willing to do it. He could do it. He's just not willing to. But is this what Jesus is asking for us? Because he, is he all, is he, does he want that for all of us? I mean, is that the way we get into heaven? Like, if, we, if he wants all Christians to go and sell everything they have... And then they'll enter the heaven. That's just like buying our, our salvation. That's not what he wants. And to my knowledge, he didn't say that to anybody else in Scripture. I remember, remember he meets with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus also a wealthy person. And Zacchaeus hears the words of Christ and he gets up and he takes half of his belongings, half, and he gives it away. And Jesus is pleased with him. Thumbs up. Good job, Zacchaeus. But that was just half. This, he asked this man to give everything. If he would have asked this man to give half away, he might have done it. But the issue was his heart. 
His whole heart was wrapped in this. His whole heart was wrapped in his wealth and his privilege and his understanding and, and just his future. To give away half, maybe he could have done that. But to give it all away, he couldn't do that. It's because this was his idol. This was his idol. It's so fascinating how Jesus talked to him because Jesus could have, he already did like five or six of the commandments. Jesus could have said, hey, if you want to be perfect, this is the last thing you need to do. Follow the other commandments. Don't have any gods before me. Don't worship any idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain and remember the Sabbath. But if Jesus would have said that, what would this man have said? Check, 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 check. Done it all. Thank you, Jesus. Now I can go away knowing I'm perfect, that I have salvation, that I'll be in heaven. But instead he went with the picture. He says, give it away. That's your idol. You have another God before you and it's your wealth. You, you have idols and it's your money that you're worshiping. Are you willing to give that away? See, he got so personal with him. He got so personal. He went right to his heart. To right where it is the things were that he treasured the most. And he says, that's what I want you to give up. And Jesus is going to get personal. He's going to get very personal. He's going to go right to your heart. For some of you, that's your, your money, is, is your idol, is, your, is the thing that you're worshiping. Just think, if, you, if you're trying to figure it out, what is the one thing, if it were gone, would devastate you? That's what you need to give to the Lord. So some it's money. For some, it's health. For some, it's your children or your family or your marriage or your, 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 your authority at work, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, those are the things that you need to sacrifice. Those are the things that I'm asking you to give up. So with Abraham, to go back to Genesis, he asked him to leave his family, his, his home, to go to this new land. Later on, and he, he had a, a son, and, and God said, I want you to sacrifice that son. And he was willing to do it. Throughout Scripture, we see other people sacrificing things. We, we see uh, many of the, the apostles in the Scriptures were single. They, they, they said, I'm not going to get, for the sake of Christ, I'm not going to marry, I'm going I'm to focus on this. So they, they gave up that to, to keep their eyes on Christ. Uh, Jesus says another place uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if, you, if, uh, if, you're, if you're falling in sin, then cut out your eyes and cut off your hands so you won't sin. Like, those are all sacrifices. And, and if we take all these things together, we get a picture of what the Christian life looks like, that it's leaving your family, sacrificing your son, divorcing your spouse, giving all your money away, cutting out your eyes and your hands, and that is not attractive for any of us. If that's what God wanted, if that's what, that's what religious things are looking at, like what do I have to do? What are those things? And God's saying, what I want is not the external. What I want is your heart. It's your longings. He brings this all together with this phrase that he used before. In chapter 6, he talked about the, the kingdom of, or the treasures of heaven. Remember, he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And he says this again. He says, if you want to be perfect, sell everything, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. We know what it means to store up treasures on earth. And we do that. 
for some treasure on earth is my stocks, my cash, my bank accounts, like that kind of thing. I'm a saver, right? my retirement. Like that's, that's my treasure in heaven. For others, your treasure in heaven is anything that Amazon can bring to your door, right? Anything you can put in your house, in your car, in your yard, your garage, like those are our treasures. We know how to store up those. And the point is that those things are bad, get rid of them. That's not the point. The, the point is, is that our hearts are captured with Christ, not with these things. I think this is what God wants us to know. Uh, here's, if I could rephrase it, I would say it this way. That God, he longs for you to know this. You are my treasure. Before the world began, before Jesus Christ gave his life, you were my treasure. I've always loved you. And I sent my son to the cross because of you. I value you that much. I want you to know that. And I want you to make me your treasure. I want you to value that. So what God has done, he's made you a treasure. And he's just saying, just make me your treasure. Don't put anything ahead of me. The, the stuff on earth, it won't last. I mean, your, your finances, your money, and your health, and your family, they're good things. Those are good things. But don't put them before me. So for some of you, you may literally have to give away. If money is your treasure, you may have to literally give things away until your heart is, is released. It might be a few things. It might be a lot of things. I don't know. For some of you, it, it's not that, but like it's your, your family or your kids. And, and the point is not to go leave your kids, orphan them or abandon them, right? How, kids, I got you. I got you. You're not going to be abandoned, right? The, the point is that you're not going to be abandoned, but the point is to give in prayer every day, Lord, Lord, I want you, and, and here's my offering, all right? And I want to I love my kids out of a love for you in the right place. I want to love you, and I want to love my kids and my family and the people around me in the proper order, with a proper priority. I want to make you my, my treasure, Lord, because you've already made me your treasure. I want to love you in response. Anyway, religious people are looking for that perfection. God's looking for your heart. God's looking for your heart. And he's patient. Thank the Lord that he's patient with us because he doesn't expect it immediately, but through our lives. This is, we become, we're shaped to be like Christ and that's giving more and more of our heart, more and more of our idols over to him and saying, I'm valuing you first. That's how to love Jesus. Last one is this. Religious people say that the rich and successful are blessed by God. The rich and successful are blessed. But Jesus says, those who leave everything are blessed by God. The last will be first. So after the man left and he was grieved because he couldn't let go of his possessions, Jesus turns to his disciples. He's like, bring it in, guys. He says, I assure you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, th this 
this was it for them. Like, that, that they couldn't understand this. It says that they were utterly astonished. Then, like, just think of that. Just stop right there. Utterly astonished. When was the last time you were utterly astonished? And like, really? I don't know, maybe it was a time where you were watching a magician and he called you up and kind of did some shuffling of the cards and some things like that and then had you sign a card or something like that, put your signature on it. You see him do some things and then all of a sudden like he calls someone out in the audience, someone who's 50 feet away and they come out and they, oh, they take off their shoe and your card is in there. Like that would, utterly astonishing to me. That would, I would be utterly astonished. That's how the disciples were. Like, Lord, if this guy who's wealthy and rich and he's, he's morally upright and he's religious and all that, he has a good reputation. If he can't get in the kingdom of heaven, who can? Because we always thought this guy had the fast pass. To, he didn't have to wait in line. He gets right on the ride every time. He's going to be first in heaven. But if that's not true, then who? Jesus completely blows their mind that they were shocked at this. But Jesus says, here's the thing. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. See, God can, can take a camel and put it through the eye of the needle. If he wanted to, he could do it. He, God, when the heart is right, he can take a rich person and put him through the eye of a needle and do the impossible. And he's done the impossible. He's done that with all, with all of you. Any of you who have received Christ, you, you have gone, you, the impossible has happened. Your sins have been forgiven and been placed on Jesus. And his righteousness, his beauty, his, all of his righteousness has been put on you. So God can do the impossible. And he does the impossible. And he says that the, the last will be first. Because Peter is, is fascinating. Peter once again speaks up and kind of says like, hey, like, what about us? Like, we left everything. And Peter's, I mean, he's right on. And, and for once, Jesus doesn't kind of go after Peter. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, you're always thinking about earthly things, you know. Think about eternal things. He, Jesus doesn't say that. He goes to Peter, he says, you're absolutely right. You left everything. You, you have been placing treasures in heaven. You have put me first. You've been following me. And it's not easy. And it's tough. But you've been following me. You've been putting me first. And then he tells him, for everything you give up, you're going to get a hundred times more in heaven. Now, I don't know what that all means. But I know that he's worth it. That he is worth it. We're utterly astonished. I always thought that the rich person was the one who was blessed. That they would easily make it into heaven. But he's saying now, the one who is last will be first. Going back to those children. Remember that children earlier? Those children that they were trying to shuffle away, those are the people that God is, is working through that teach us so much. 
we need to stop being religious. Okay? We need to try to stop squeezing Jesus into our culture and into our, the beliefs that we've had, that we were raised with, that we got from junior high or we picked up from Netflix or whatever it is. We've got to stop squeezing Jesus into that. Instead, we have to be conformed to him. We've got to squeeze ourselves into him, into what he thinks and what he desires. So religious people say, what do I got to do? What do I achieve to have favor with God? Religious people say, how do I look good to God and to others? And religious people say, those who are, are rich are blessed. But Jesus turns it all around. And he says, the people that are blessed are the last. The people that are blessed are the ones who gave me their heart and have sacrificed. The ones who are blessed have received from Jesus. That's it. They've received salvation. So today I want us to stop being religious, but I want, to be, I want us to be utterly astonished with what God has done, with the gospel, with the cross, with salvation. I want us to be utterly astonished that you are loved and treasured by God, that he gave his son who left all of glory and came to this earth and died and took your sin on the cross and paid the punishment for your sin. I want you to be utterly astonished with that. And then I want us to go out and love Jesus and show him he's our treasure. This is the difference is that when we go out and we serve, like for instance, this Saturday we're having a food distribution. We're gonna have, I don't know, 700 to 1,000 cars from the community here. We're gonna help them give food. We don't do it in order for God to say, you know, to get another check mark or to get another, some, some more um, sand in our good side of the scale or whatever. We don't do it for that. Instead, we do it because God is our treasure. And we just want to love this community. We want to serve them. We've been full of joy. We want to be a blessing. We want them to be utterly astonished with what God gave and we want them to receive. Can we do that, church? Can we stop being religious and just start, start giving Jesus our heart, seeing him as our treasure, first and foremost, above all else?